In this episode, we discuss implementing digital manufacturing solutions for orchestrating human-to-machine collaboration for smart manufacturing. My guest on this episode is Raphael Amaral. Raphael is the Chief Technology Officer for Tilit, a cloud-based digital operations platform. He leads a team of software engineers in developing alternative approaches to traditional supply chain management systems, MES platforms, and OEE software. Raphael has worked with businesses of all sizes worldwide to digitally transform their operations. This episode is made possible by our friends at HiveMQ, who are providers of an enterprise MQTT platform. Welcome to the fourth generation podcast here on industry4o.tv, which is a series of interviews designed to help you learn industrial IoT from some of the world's leading practitioners. So if you're new here, please do subscribe and follow us on all podcast platforms to never miss any of the interviews. My name is Kudzai Mani Teresa, and here is my interview with Raphael. Okay, Raphael, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I'm really looking forward to having an interesting conversation with you. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's great to be here, and uh, I'm also looking forward to this. Thank you so much. So today I want to uh, talk to you about uh, orchestrating human-machine collaboration for digital transformation in manufacturing, which I think is a really important topic uh, uh, to have um, at this uh, particular juncture when a lot of uh, companies are really looking at uh, transforming or going undergoing digital transformations to really kind of like uh, uh, remain competitive, right? So maybe to, to begin, um, most digital transformation strategies, I think we spoke about this offline, they they they, they fail to to kind of like put the human element into the picture. They focus mainly on data collection and analytics and stuff like that. Now, based on your experience, what do you see as being the biggest challenges uh, that are brought about by this neglect of the human element? I think more than challenges, I see um, a a missed opportunity. So a missed opportunity, right? So um, we we are doing these digital transformations, focusing a lot on the machines, especially from an engineer perspective, focus a lot on data for analytics. But then we go back to the factory and we see we still see operators going around with paper and not a lot of technology supporting the operations so the plant managers and the operations managers so this is where i think that there is uh, a gap and a, a missed opportunity to to gain a lot of value from technology okay perfect so i mean your your company uh, part of what your company does is uh, on, on kind of like providing a platform that enable this uh, orchestration of human to machine uh, collaboration at the shop floor. So first of all, maybe can you kind of like, for, for, for the benefit of some of the audience, tell us what the orchestration of human to machine collaboration ideally looks like and, and what are its major benefits? Absolutely. Um, so so Tillit was born on the back of digitizing factories, um, but in a, 
in a specific with a specific methodology using workflow. So the concept of workflow is is not new. It's it's been around for you know many many years. Um, some people would would see, um, call them a business pro process notation BPMN. Um, and but the idea and and you would see a lot of this workflow happening in places like your ERP, your CRM, all the process to get approvals for travel um, for you that went to Hanover. Yep. So the idea of implementing a digital workflow inside the factory to to model and orchestrate every step of the production process, that is where we start to incorporate the human element into that digitalization process, right? By synchronizing the actions of humans and machines, a factory can be can work like a well-oiled machine where the cogs are, are running together, right? So instead of having operators around the machine waiting for things to happen and, and, and paying attention to the HMI, you know, disconnected from that, the idea is that you bring this, this engine that monitors what happens around the factory, understand the, the business rules, and then orchestrates and manage the operators on their activities. So now instead of the operator having to think about every step of the way, that system, that orchestration is telling them, you got to do this now, you got to do this now. Now, this, this becomes critical when you start to look at the factory, right? When you go in and you understand the business process that the factory has to execute, and you start to recognize that there is a high level of complexity on that business flow. For this product, I have to do this, that, that. For this customer, the, the, there is an, a different step and different you know, routine. So we ask a lot from the operators to, to, to know that or to go through thick SOP paper documents to make sure they are following process. And as a manager, you lack the visibility of whether such process that was designed in order to you know, produce good product, you lack the visibility whether it was indeed followed. So the, 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 the output of all that, once you actually go through the hump of bringing the business rules into a system that will orchestrate every step of the way, that system will read signals from the machines so that they can, you know, work in 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 unis in in synergy. Yeah. Once you have that, well, then there's a lot of performance improvement. You know, reduction of 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 lag time, of the idle time, of people of machine not getting started just because somebody else was doing something else. Um, reduction of errors, mistakes. How much of wastage is happened just because somebody didn't follow the process? And once you find out on quality control, you need to go back and rework it. So there's all we just demand too much from the operator, right? And one day that they are not feeling well, that they're you know have some trouble at home, is that day they make a mistake, and that mistake is expensive. That mistake is very expensive. Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned that they um. They may be like the underlying uh, business rules or processes may be 
complex and also like they may they may be processes that kind of like put a burden on the on the operator now for organizations that may be looking at implementing uh, platforms like to to kind of like perform this orchestration of human to machine collaboration how should they go about assessing and maybe redesigning some of these processes if it's needed at all to kind of like relook at some of the processes in order to facilitate a, a digital experience that uh, empowers the, their workforce to be productive yeah yeah no good good question i think for me i, I would start kind of understanding a little bit of the 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 context and and where the focus is right so if we look at technology in companies uh, and you go into an a, a a top layer of the pyramid the erp layer the crm layer you will find that companies have evolved a lot in in that area right so they have they have you know strong technology capability around managing their supply chain process, all their accountings, because you know they had to over time. So even when we talk about digital transformation on that layer, it's just an improvement. It's an increment because you know you can't find a company today that doesn't doesn't run an ERP and it's not digital. That you know that side of the the, the story. The other place that there has been a lot of investment is on the bottom layer. So your SCADA system, your PLC. So a lot that we see and we talk about is 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 heavily on the automation layer. So I have really strong SCADA capability to do line controls and to do all the automation that I want. So I feel like that middle between the ERP and the and the and the and the PLC and the SCADA is the is the bit that we're we're talking about here, right? So the reality is that when we go into factories, that middle is the the bar is low, okay? The maturity level on that level is, is, is pretty low. So, so the question becomes, you know, how do you start improving that? So how do we redesign your manufacturing process to you know, fix that, that gap? And in that, that is where process becomes a key word for me. You know, so um, we got to when we think about machine, we're thinking about that one step that the machine has to do. Maybe this machine has to fill bottles. That's what it does. Yeah. When we think about a factory, we've got to think about process because it starts from raw material inbound, gets processed, gets stored, gets, you know, uh, uh, working progress, gets validated, gets dispatched. So there's a process. So. So the concept should be really around digitizing the process, right? And and this is where there's a there's a there's a catch. There's you, there's a, a a pitfall here that you might fall in terms. Of, oh, I'm going to digitize the process. I'm going to digitize all my paper. Let's put everything in Excel or in you know Google Forms. Yeah. And that is a trap of going into you know it will improve, but you're still missing out a lot of opportunities, right? Because now you're going to paper on glass territory so the dot is digital but there's there's no control you're still relying on somebody to remember to do that you're still relying there's no it's not really helping them yet right so when we when we continue you know improving that digital process we go into this notion of a workflow 
So, because what we want to do is, is manage the work, right? So that's where the opportunity is, right? So how can we empower the operation in order to better manage the execution of the manufacturing process? That's what you, you need to look at it. And even though sometimes it can be daunting and, and there's, there's, there's work to be done because like I said before, the process is complex. I'm not sure if you can afford not to do this because the fact that it is complex makes it so important for you to have a, a supporting tool. So you go about understanding your process and start to digitize it. The good thing about how you know how you have the as is and how you can get the two B is that you don't have to start as a big bang and go to a factory and say, please design and draw here right now my whole manufacturing process, because I doubt you you find somebody can, that can do that. I doubt that you go into a factory and say, I know every single step that needs to happen on every single product, every single customer combination, every single variation. Not one person will know. You might have a quality manager that knows their bit, and you have a maintenance person that knows that bit. So there is a way for you to implement these things in a, in a, in a bit by bit fashion, you know, station by station, taking these process, starting with the critical ones, um, so that you can you can oxygenate the project and give back value quick. You want that value back quick so that you can keep on your digital journey instead of you know working a, a year, two years for that go live. And so far you haven't seen anything. Nothing's live, nothing is is actually adding you know value until after the go live. So using that idea of the workflow, the you know the digital workflow, and then you turbocharge with real-time integration, right? Between your machines, your events. So machine stops, that's an event. A cycle finished, that's an event. And even alarms and you know everything that happens. So you 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 turbocharge that workflow with that integration and you know the business. The, the ERPs and the, the CRMs, that's where there's a lot of opportunity, right? And then you can then achieve that synergy between the machine and the and the people and have everything running smoothly uh, with hopefully less mistakes and, 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 and inefficiencies. Okay, that's really uh, makes... Uh... A lot of sense. I mean, maybe just to kind of like go on a tangent here a bit on the technical side of it. So talking about like the updating, uh, real-time updating of the uh, uh, of the process, right, with data from like your machines. And um, is there any specific manner in which the the, the, the connectivity or, or, or the communication uh, protocol that it's responsible for like uh, this event generation and transmission, is there any specific... Uh, approach that you 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 think maybe works best to kind of like make sure that that uh, integration uh, works perfectly. Yeah, I mean, uh, we we are talking about a decent amount of data. We are talking about communicating. In my case, we are talking about a cloud system that is doing you know everything that we talk about here. So you you and you are communicating with a factory that has you know closed firewalls for protection for all the reasons, 
So there is, if you think about a requirement, it needs to be, you know, outgoing. It needs to be outbound. You can't simply open a port, um, you know, and 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 start doing uh, web hooks. It doesn't work like that. So so MQTT is definitely the 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 the, the currently the best option for this kind of communication, um, and that's what we use uh, for for that kind of two way communication. So events firing from you know factory over to the cloud and and things happening in the cloud that the factory needs to be aware of. You can then share that 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 information via common broker, right? Yeah. So the beauty of that broker um, um, architecture is that it's just a piece of data that is that is there for you to subscribe and to you know read. So from a security perspective, it's probably the best way to 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 communicate um, the information. Okay, perfect. Now, in 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 one of your. Uh blog post that I, I I came across you you mentioned um the need to understand uh, human efficiency through uh, behavioral analytics right like a, a, as an important basis on which to um, uh, to create strategies that uh, influence uh, operational value uh, uh, through like this uh, human to machine collaboration can you please elaborate on that yeah so I think to to start talking about you know in this context of of digital transformation and using using tools like workflow and um, the first point to make is the fact that we typically don't have this data anywhere. If you go to you know I remember talking to to a a, a head of BI of a big company and say okay do you know what's the workload like for your operators. Do you know whether this department is is you know high on workload and the other is not? Do you have any information about you know how they are um, how they're working? And obviously the answer was no, no, we don't know. We we know the output, we know how much we produced, and we know how much the machine was on. We might know the energy, but we don't know anything about the people. Um, and then if we think about that from the you know how important the people is to the operation and even to the bottom line because it is a decent chunk of your of your PL of your costs. Um, then well, it's a big, big black hole that you don't know anything about it, right? So so started to capture those simple data points like the workflow told you to do you know this, and it took you. 20 minutes to react and another five minutes to accomplish. It's so rich. And it's not about big brother. It's not about, you know, I'm tracking you. No, it's actually about helping you. Because if I find out that there's five times more things to be done on this, you know, area of the factory than the other area of the factory, I might be able to, you know, move things around. But unless I have somebody there with a stopwatch or going through 50 pages of documents and signatures and counting how many things each one had to do, you, you just don't know. So for me, it gives a whole different layer of understanding of, again, your manufacturing process, right? I understand really well my machine. I know the OE, I know when it stops, perfect. I understand my material. I know how much came in or how much came out. I don't know anything, anything about the labor. 
And you need those three things to produce anything or unless you're completely autonomous, <laughs> but yeah. Oh yeah. So, so does it make sense? The, like it's, it's just understanding the, the execution of the business process, basically. Right. That's, and, and because it's being done by people, you, you end up understanding what people are doing. If you take those data points and mash it with your machine performance, you might actually find a lot of new things that you didn't know about it. Correlation between shift, shift manager, people, quality issues and, and, and wastage. So there's a lot to be, to, to be gained there in terms of insights. Yeah, absolutely. Makes total sense that, that there would be uh, uh, sort of like uh, uh, correlations, uh, uh, so to speak. So uh, another uh, capability that you um, highlighted uh, uh, in one of your uh, content pieces, uh, I guess, is, is being able to identify and resolve uh, value-destroying behaviors on the shop floor. Now that kind of like got me thinking and, and 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 curious. First, what does a typical value destroying behavior look like, and 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 how can manufacturers identify and resolve such behaviors? Yeah, yeah. So there, I think I think there's two concepts there, right? So if we think about value destroying, um, you could go on the tangent of okay, I have a, I, I have an operator that says it takes 40 minutes to do this changeover, but I've, I've I've timed it on the system and it takes only 15. Um, so, so how do we go about that in terms of understanding your plant capacity? Because if you don't have a really good grasp of your plant capacity, most likely you're producing less than you could, right? So there is a little bit of that. There's also a lot around, you know, how do we avoid, you know, value being destroyed by helping them. So in this case, an example is, there's so many of these steps, we're producing you know, 50 products a day, there's so many things happen. Each order is about 200 steps that somebody has to do. The chances of you going to automatically in your brain is really high. So you start doing something, you don't even notice that it's wrong, right? Cool. So, so having a system to kind of as a co-pilot on your shoulder say, hey, listen, you just told me that the shelf life of this this product is is this date, but it's not. It's supposed to be that date. That simple, simple little thing just saved you from bagging, you know, three pallets worth of bread on the wrong label that you would have to kind of unbag and rebag it again. Imagine the waste of, of, of time and effort. So I think the, the the what I'm trying to 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 think about is there's on one side understanding of what happened, but sometimes even more important is blocking errors from happening. Yes. So I think I think this is where we have to understand that that value destroying concept. You know, like how do we avoid things from not going as planned and also how we identify things that potentially is not going as planned. Oh, okay. Interesting. 
And I think this kind of like uh, uh, ties in nicely with what I want to uh, talk about to you next, like because typically in the shop floor, you'd have like um, uh, employees who are really good at kind of like really minimizing such value destroying behaviors, like people who really kind of like understand the machines, what we would call tribal knowledge, right? Knowledge. And unfortunately, such people would have to eventually leave the company, right? And this kind of like really creates a gap. And one of the uh, benefits of implementing systems that kind of like orchestrate this human to machine collaboration is th that ability to bring uh, or, or to, to, to facilitate knowledge retention. Now, yeah. how much of an impact, uh, uh, as far as you are concerned, do you think uh, knowledge retention has on uh, digital transformation strategies? Well, I think COVID has really shaken things up big time for factories. The amount of um, people I talked to that had to stop, you know, like not run a shift because they didn't have people. Um, and, and even back out of COVID, there's a lot of people that left, you know, changed careers. So I think knowledge is is it is is crucial um, to to the operation. And what sometimes we don't recognize is that for some of these industries, some of these factories, to be able to run the machine solo, right? So I'm an I'm the operator of this area. I've done all my training. I know the machine. I know everything, what to do each time. Some places will take you about five years to seven years to become solo. So that knowledge, tribal knowledge you're talking about is a lot of that five years of experience of just being there and knowing what to do when something goes wrong and knowing all the steps um, on all the variants of the, the operation. So if we're able to kind of extract some of the knowledge, you won't get everything, but if you're able to extract some of the knowledge and then instead of putting in, you know, 50 page Word document SOPs that gets hidden somewhere collecting dust and you put in the system and don't put it as a documentation, put it as a, as a co-pilot, not somebody having to read, oh, now I know what to do each step of the way. No, tell them what to do now. And then if the property, if the, the product has this, this, this characteristic, they will do this thing now. So it's a co-pilot, right? Giving you directions, right? So I'm kind of saying, well, try to drive nowadays without, you know, Google Maps. Um, so this system becomes your Google Maps, giving you directions. So if you're able to do this, then you're mitigating problems, you know, when unfortunately those people leave, you know, it could be because of COVID, it could be because of retirement. I still remember me walking on the factory in the United States and and the plant manager was actually very proud because he was he was introducing me to all operators and all of them had at least 25 years of of a factory. Oh, wow. And it was great to see, you know, because he was trying to promote uh, retention. But at the same time, somewhere along the line, and this was probably 15 years ago, you start to think about retirement, right? So again, those people will retire and unfortunately they will leave with that knowledge. So I, th I think um, 
treasuring that knowledge and understanding that that's part of the company's IP, it's if you're not doing that, you know, like good luck, I think. So the other thing about the once you start to you know bring that knowledge into business rules that runs the system you start to understand the difference between the people like you said you know, like you, you mentioned there's an operator that maybe runs really well that's been there for a, for a while and maybe he didn't leave but maybe the shift the night shift guy it, it it's not that great right because he's maybe new or you know so 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 then you start to be able to kind of put side by side and understand and help the ones that are poorly performing, bringing the, the good ideas, you know, to the other side. Um, so so that's that's it is it, it is as important, you know, standardization of your process. I think it's very key. And then finally, if you are indeed standardizing the process, you want to make sure that it is being followed. And I think one of the the most difficult thing to do around managing a process that that runs around, you know, printing forms and in, in, in sheets of paper where somebody just does a check, 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 is that you're not really sure whether that person did, you know, how they should have done. So maybe you have to do uh, this is a good a good example. We we had a business process of doing a, a check, I think it was every 20 minutes, right? And and we went from paper to digital. So we put in the system, say, well, send a check every 20 minutes. Um, and then after a few weeks, they realized that 90% of the checks were, weren't getting, you know, done. It was the, the checks gets expired. So you can't do it if you don't do it on a timely fashion. And then, you know, we didn't know it was a problem with the system. So managers goes and walks the factory and realized that it was humanly impossible to do every 20 minutes. Because you have to do this, and then you have to go there and do that, and you have to go there to do that, and then you look back and all those years of paper, and and somebody said, "Well, we never had this issue. You know, the the forms were all filled up perfectly." So reality is that you you were lying to yourself. You know, you weren't really following the the business process that's there to ensure high quality pro product. So I think I think every, it, it's all that combination of you know. Um, um, defining the business rule and then adhering to the business rule. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a cycle there. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. So I think you kind of like mentioned that, uh, systems, uh, that enable the orchestration of human to machine collaboration kind of like sit in the middle between your, 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 your ERPs and, and then your, your, your production flow at the bottom. Now, the danger or the confusion, as I have uh, experienced, is that systems in that level kind of like all get slapped with the label MES, right? Even though they've got like a wide range of functionalities that they could be performing there, which really kind of like makes it difficult for uh, a manufacturer because they think that if they kind of like pick up anything that is called MES, it will do the same thing that the next uh, uh, platform does. So my question to you is, what would you say are the factors to consider when choosing a technology platform uh, uh, for effective orchestration uh, of human-to-machine collaboration? I think it's funny that you said MES first. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, MES has, has, you know, 
taken a little bit of a bad word um, for for a few reasons. I think one of the reasons is because it's it's been there has been a lot of failed um, implementations, very expensive implementations. Um, so I think that the you know sometimes I consider what we do MES, and sometimes we 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 try to fall into a different a different thing that you know we we called a, a digital manufacturing operations so the the term there it's is really a focus on the operations first um and 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 the idea of being digital so instead of you starting with the typical things that the mes would solve you start with that concept that i keep repeating with the process flow right so and the mes would do you know they have their own ways of doing very prescriptive very um um there, there's a lot of standards that you know talks about how MES should work and so on. So that is fine, but I like to remind ourselves on the on the focus on the the process, the steps. You know, so if somebody has to do a clean, do it. If somebody has to do a safety check, do it. Is that MES? I don't know, but it's the business pro. It's the process. It's the manufacturing process. The operator. Yep. So instead of you thinking about okay, what does the MES can do and let's put that in let's look at think about what the operator can has to do to produce goods and let's model over those things those tasks you do end up you know either integrating to an MES that would they will be doing you know this, those sections the the sections that they decide to to implement or we may do some some of those things. You know, we can do track and trace, for instance. Track and trace is is just about um, recording consumptions and production. So let's record consumption and productions. We can do OE. OE is another one of those uh, per, the performance element of of MES. Again, you just calculate the get get the run rates, get the shifts, get everything. But the cool thing is that when if if you do OE from a concept of a workflow, you realize that, oh, I need to tell the system, the OE system that, that I have a shift. Oh, great. So now I have a shift start event. And I know that the business process has a lot of steps when they start a shift. So let's tap into the workflow of the shift start process. Oh, I got a stoppage. Let's do a stoppage reason. Great. I have a task list with all the check, all the quality checks, all the maintenance checks, all the the safety checks. Let's just add the stoppage reason there, so then we don't have to go somewhere else. So, so I think that the the different approach here is you take a uh, a connected work uh, uh, frontline worker first approach, which is you know like think about the operator as as a person that needs supporting, and then you start to bring in the MES components because you find that they slot in way easier than having to train the operator to click, 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 so that they can consume a pallet. So it's it's a little bit of a mind shift there in terms of a, in a workflow task-based driven and everything becomes around that. Yeah. So the operator tends to um, see you know a lot of benefit there because they don't have to think too much. They, they just do. What the, what the system is telling to do. The manager sees a lot of benefit there because now they're paying attention to the process execution and making sure that is adherent to what it should be. And then the data analyst can still get a ton of data out of the, the system to, to do analysis and, 
and reporting. Uh, less one is auditors. They they love it because everything's already digital. You don't have to go through handwritten notes. So I see all those benefits around um, uh, when, 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 when you go into this um, digital manufacturing operations approach. Now, in terms of technology, I think then the other uh, the other way I, I like to picture these things is that, and I'm gener- it's a bit generic here, but um, a lot of the, the the times I've seen MES being implemented was to solve really complicated problems, right? Which is great. You need sometimes you have really complicated problems and you need to solve them. But a lot of the times we leave simple problems to be solved that has you know great value that means good bang for buck not sold so i think that if i'm bringing a technology i want that technology to not necessarily need to be a bazooka to solve my super complicated problem but maybe a technology that can be used by the business to model and manage their operation right so the technology we do is usually involves a, 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 a small project to get it in get connected machines you know about three four five tags per machine you do that baseline okay i'm connected i have data we set up a few you know example workflows to show, okay, here's what a pre-start check looks like. Every factory does a pre-start check. You know, before you start an order, you do a pre-start check. There's probably a form somewhere that says pre-start check or pre-op check. Yep. Take that and you digitize it. Great. Now the operators are following the process. Now I have order duration, order quantity, order progress, all the order management component of the OE. It's there of the of the UMS is there. Great. But now I give that tool to a continuous improvement manager and that person will start to digitize every step of the way. And so they need a tool that is easy to do that. So that's no code, low code, because that 90% of the step, it's not technically difficult to do. You know, it's just a form that has three questions. But the fact that you ask the form of three questions at the right time and you got commitment and you got accountability, that goes a long way. That makes a lot of difference. So, so again, from the technology perspective, be able to do the you know the hard bits, but be easy to do the easy bits. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. Super interesting. So now um one of the uh, sort of like architectural uh, approaches that have been uh, gaining quite uh, some attention is the uh, the unified namespace. So what I'm curious to find out is um, maybe using uh, Telit as an example, how uh, leveraging unified namespace uh, for the orchestration of human to machine collaboration looks like for you. Yeah. No, uh, UNS is a great philosophy, I think. In, in, I'm not sure if the philosophy, uh, but the reality is that if I were to approach a customer that has gone through an UNS you know, implementation, I would be in heaven. All right. 
Because if I have one technical challenge, I have two technical challenges during an implementation. One is not challenge, but, you know, things we have to do. One is connect to the machines and the other one is connect to the ERP. If I come into a factory that has already organized all the tag systems, I don't have to think about what PLC, what SCADA, what protocol. And it's all in MQTT, which, you know, I, I'm, I'm already said that, I've, that I'm a fan of. Great. You just so saved me, you know, a couple of weeks where we would have to go up, go after the tags that we need. We don't need that many tags. We, we're not a, um, um, we're not a historian. We're not that hungry for data from the PLC. It's quite amazing how little we need to run a full factory. Um, but, but it's really nice to have them organized. I don't have to, you know, have that challenge. And the other thing, from an UNS perspective is that I believe we have a lot of, you know, good, good data that can be fed back to the UNS. So because it is a, a pub sub, it is an event-based uh, architecture. The way this works is we until it, we're subscribing to that UNS to cherry pick the things that we need. And we're pushing back to the UNS the events, the things that happen. So for instance, you know, shift managers just hit the pre-start check, you know, completion. I want that to feed into the HMI. So then only after the pre-start check is done, I should be able to, you know, start the machine. So that flow of data is actually really powerful. Um, and, and, and when you start thinking about that event-based system where you're literally you know, receiving things that will drive the workflow, the workflow will then drive information back to you and you, and you, and you work on that event um, um, communication. So if it's perfect. Cool. The only, cool. the only, you know, thing to kind of think about is that because we are not that data hungry, you know, like I said, it's only a, you don't need that much on asset status and, 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 and counts. That's pretty much it. I wouldn't necessarily put it as a prerequisite though. You know, I think that nobody's building US so they can have Tillit. Yeah. You know, they're building UNS for a much bigger purpose. So it's fine if they if 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 they are doing that project in parallel. And then once that is available, you just you know turn the tap to a different direction. So that's all. Awesome. Makes a lot of sense. Now, once um uh Companies have implemented um, digital manufacturing systems, as you uh, uh, have, have described. I would imagine that they would want to to measure and evaluate the success of of, uh, of such an exercise. Um, so, in that regard, what would you say are the most important metrics and and maybe monitoring strategies to use in this scenario? Yeah, I think that. Uh... If you go back to what we're talking about is we're transcribing the business logic, the business rules, how I run an operation into a digital system. So as a, a successful criteria, I need to make sure that, you know, what's the percentage of that business rule was able to be transcribed into the system. One way to know that is by monitoring how many manual tasks that a user is is triggering so the system will issue tasks so it's a 
a proactive approach to op operators say you, you receive your task, you do it. But sometimes we fail to, to contextualize that task against an event, either from machine or from process, right? So that means that you got to go to the operator and say, hey, when this happens, you got to press this manual start button and you start this activity, okay? Okay. So normally, statistically speaking, from our customers, we run about 99% of the tasks that are submitted by a user. And there's you know thousands, thousands and thousands per day per client. 99% of those are automatically triggered by the, the system. So... So from a success criteria, I would actually be happy with 90%. If 90% of my, my my business process was automated and orchestrated, I'm pretty happy with it, 10% exception. The second one to monitor is the adherence to those tasks, right? So uh, the system issue task, but if you didn't do it, you skipped or you expired. So that's the one, the second one that, so now you're trying to measure, okay, is my operator or my operator doing what they were meant to do, right? Because the system is dictating what should be doing should be done, yeah. um, and then we can track that too. So dashboards to track. Okay, how many tasks expired? You know, why did it expire? Uh, is there a reason for that? Um, and this helps us not only understand the success factor, but also monitor the factory because. It might change. It might start getting more expiration, and you realize that they're getting expired because they can't keep up. You know, we're we're ramping up production, and I have to do, like I said before, you know, twenty every twenty minutes I got to do this, but I also got to do that because I'm backfilling for another operator. So now I'm running two machines at the same time. If I can't keep up, the task will expire. But now I know. Yep. So you see how it loops around. Exactly. So for me, it's, it, this this is a very simple, very you know, out of the tool, easy to, to notice. And then you, as a plant manager, you know, op, uh, operations director, you can know. Okay, what's the percentage? Um, how much my factory is process automated? I'm not saying physical automation. I'm saying, you know, like you've automated the the logic, the 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 engine, and it's pretty cool to see <laughs> yeah. in real life. Absolutely. So what's interesting for me is uh, point number two, like the, the adherence uh, aspect of it. And so what I would like to kind of like uh, take your, your, your thoughts on is how much of, of uh, the lack of adherence do you think uh, can be attributed to lack of effective training programs that plant managers need to put in place? Uh, because, I mean, it's it's a... For, for an operator who's been who's used to performing tasks in a certain way for like five to yeah. ten years, for them to change overnight, uh, I think there has to be some form of, of training. So maybe uh, the question yeah. is, how can plant managers develop and deliver some uh, effective training programs to, to, to prepare their workforce for uh, successful uh, implementation of these systems? I think there's there, there there are two moments there. I think it's a very interesting question because there are, there are two moments there. The first moment is during implementation, you know, the initial moment. So, the, you know, like I said, the technical challenge, you know, connecting to machines, connecting to to ERPs, it's it's actually pretty quick, right? The tools today that allows us to do that, 
makes the job, you know, a couple of couple of weeks worth of work. So the technology is not the challenge. I yeah. don't need to bring in um, a robust software development developer, you know, team person to the implementation project. You don't have to. If the technology is not a problem, what is the problem? Change management. Change management is not easy. People don't like to change, even if it's for the better. People don't like to change. They're too busy to change. They're too busy to stop, to, to even pay attention to what you have to do. So bringing people early in the journey and explaining why. Why are we doing this? We're not doing this to control you. We're not doing this. We're, we're, we're trying to make a better environment to work, right? Yep. Once you have that chance, and you have, and need two chances. One is the chance to kind of show the application and say, listen, it's just these three buttons. Yeah, yeah, easy. So that person that you thought would have a massive change management issue, I remember I, I went to a, a, a depalletizer operator and everybody thought that they, he would be, you know, super against it because, you know, and I showed show him the tool and said, listen, just click here, click here, click here. Um, and he said, well, great. I've been asking for management for years for something like this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we need to show them that it's not that hard. That's number one. And the second one, you need to show them when it helps you. So that example that I gave you with the with the best before date on on a bread, that's a real example. And after that day, the operators were change management was gone because you know they saw that as a way not to make mistakes. And nobody likes to make mistakes. Nobody likes to make mistakes because they're the one you know one backing product, and they don't they don't feel good about it, right? So. That's 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 kind of a couple of uh, things to consider in the beginning. So definitely pay attention to training and to and to change management. Now, what's interesting is that after a while, they go through the hump, and in the beginning of the project, everybody's like really paying attention to things, and you know, like so. There's a lot of focus there. There's a moment where it stabilizes, and it becomes part of the day to day. And then you start seeing mistakes. But the re the thing is that you can find a mistake now. Yeah. You can go back to the digital workflow and you can prove the digital workflow either by changing the process or by just adding text to explain. There are tasks they have to do every once in a while. It's not every, like on a special occasion. I don't remember how to do this. Okay, now you have a chance to put that you know, tribal knowledge, document it, take pictures, put it there. So that's the front, the 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 connected frontline worker part of Tillit is bringing that notion of listen, knowledge, documentation, contextualize at the right moment in time. It's a super powerful tool. And how do you use that tool? Well, you try it as much as possible in the beginning of the project, but you 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 don't you run out of time. But if you have that continuous improvement person that can actually do the change in the system, they will start noticing mistakes and say, hey, if I put this, this comment here in, in, in the front of the operator, that mistake won't happen again, you know, because now they are in structure how to do that. So the training becomes something kind of, you know, ongoing, especially considering that you, you have new people, um, you know, people move 
inside the factory. Today I'm a, a filler operator. Tomorrow I'm a I'm a palletizer. Um, you know, or today I'm in this CNC or or that CNC. So so you need to keep that momentum of training and and the tool becomes a a, a digital SOP. You don't even need manuals. The tool is telling you what to do, but you might need to add a little bit of a snippet to say, listen, remind, remember to check this. You know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. Interesting. So maybe to kind of like uh, try and bring it home for, for our audience here, do you perhaps have any uh, case studies that you could share where the, the implementation of a, a a system for orchestrating uh, human-to-machine collaboration uh, positively influenced uh, shop floor productivity. Yeah, uh, I think one of the for me one of the the cases that I like a lot is is the one that we we digitize all the the workflow and then the company started to use the the data right. So that data, that the behavior data you talk about, you know, and the first one was noting that there was one station twice as much work as the as the other station, and and they realized that there wasn't really a reason for that. It was just how it was has always been. Yeah. Like I said before, once you have like fifty page worth of paper sheets, it's really hard to make conclusions out of it. But if I give you a pivot table. And you, you see this number being twice as much as this number, so you, you can easily say why. The interesting thing is that just by, by changing configuration, you move those tasks to another station and, and, and you start to stabilize, you know? Yeah. So seeing that company use the data to change the business process was really, really interesting, you know? And there's, there's, there's more examples of that, of, of that change or how, how once you how once you have the power of managing the the workflow, you start to improve it. You start to change it. You know you start to move things around, and then you start to realize that there are things that we do that are not smart, <laughs> and it's been there for twenty years, because maybe something happened twenty years ago and somebody decided to put a form there and nobody questioned it. It's just part of the process. So one of the 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 factory work, I remember the the manager saying that one of the rules of all everything going into the workflow was give me a reason. Do you need this for auditing? Is this adding value? So you start to challenge your own design process, right? And it's really hard to do that using paper. And it's also hard to do that in the whiteboard because the thing is so complicated that you can't draw in the whiteboard. It's that complicated. So my the the case studies that we have been working with the the things we the the approach that we've been taking is is a little bit of a counterintuitive because you know we were taught to do blueprints and design and then build we a lot of the times we do as is into the system because it's only after it's in the system executing which by the way helps in change management because there's no disruption to the existing process but it gives you that visibility to say, why are you doing this every shift? It takes you two hours to do this task. And you say you're doing every shift. And I look at the paper. Yeah, you, I can see every shift there's a form. But if it takes two hours, you haven't been doing it. 
So when have you been doing this? So as a plant manager, imagine the power to know what's going on. Because remember, you're in the office, right? Maybe you have a window, but you're not in, in the floor 24-7. Yeah. So a lot of the times you don't know what's going on. But now you have two superpower. One is understanding what's going on. And two is influencing what happened, right? Yeah. So without influencing, like, what can you do? You, you your OE is forty percent, but without any influence, you can't change it. You know, like it doesn't change by alone. It doesn't change alone. That was what I'm saying. So I think that these 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 case studies were, uh, for me, the 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 most satisfying side of it is that. It's not that case study where they contracted, you know, six months worth of a data science together with a with a soft engineer to build a, a robot. You know, it's not that. It's actually the quality manager, which honestly doesn't know a lot of technology, um, was able to learn how to model a business process into the system. And was able to tweak that model in order to make sure that things are checked where it's get checked. You know, yeah. so a lot. The, 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 for me, the best thing about those case studies is that they're quick for value. I have a customer that was live in six weeks with you know scheduler, OE, quality, SOPs. And they had somebody taking care of the SOPs, writing them. They had another person doing the scheduler. They had a, a there was just a couple of uh, a software guys to do the, the, the integration with the ERPs and, you know, passing, passing REST APIs back and forth. But the speed that they were able to deliver value was amazing. And then, we, and then they went through the phase of pro project they deliver a core capability. The CI came in. They continue adding more processes to the workflow so that all those soft processes were mapped. And now they start to do, you know, analytics around the data, right? So we read the data and we build dashboards, we build, you know, visualizations, uh, and it's, it's beautiful to see. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, so maybe now to kind of like close things off, maybe let's um, take a step back and talk about uh, Tillit, uh, especially for those who are not familiar with the with the company and the product and services. Can you please explain uh, what is Tillit? Uh, what are your uh, products and services? And tell us more about Tillit, the company. Thank you. Yeah, so Tillit is a software as a service. Uh, so we're a cloud-based software as a service. What we do is basically what I've been talking about, explaining in 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 conceptual terms is what we do in practice. Um, so we have a set of of features. Um, it is it is um, cloud hosted. So you just sign up, get an account. Uh, we have Edge integration so that we can connect to to SCADA machines, OPC UA, read data send it to to till it and we have a, uh, a a manufacturing specific workflow engine um so 
this allows us to, you know, do what I was talking about, digitizing a factory, modeling the business process, creating quality management systems, creating um, even maintenance um, scenarios, uh, and and some of the MES capability, uh, including track and trace, OE, uh, inventory management, and all the bits and pieces. We do all that with as little code as possible. So it is a low code, no code platform, which means that for those forms that are simple, they can stay simple. And then for those forms that we wanted to make it a little bit more complicated, we can add you know, logic, code, and so on. And we're event-driven, which means that things gets really interesting when we start to think about your business process around events between systems, right? So ERP to Tillit, Tillit to ERP, SCADA to Tillit, Tillit to SCADA. So that is the turbocharge of your manufacturing-specific digital workflow. That's what That's what we do. Okay. Yeah, so that uh, brings us to the end of this session. Raphael, thank you so much again for taking the time to come out onto the show and share your valuable insights with the audience. Thank you. No, thank you. It was a pleasure.